we are, as I said, two weeks as we've transitioned out of looking at the good works themselves, which we've looked at a lot of them over the last uh, couple months. We're transitioning into attitudes and emotions in doing good. Right? We've, we've talked last week a bit about uh, the universal nature, who deserves good, and, and our, our, our biases and our tendencies to only do good to certain kinds of people. We're, we're talking about today, how can we do good? How do we do it? Right? We've talked so much about what to do and why to do it. How? How do we do good? And it's quite simple, as many things are in the Bible. The theory is pretty simple. It's not complex, but simple, of course, doesn't make it easy, right? Simple things are not always easy to do because this requires a change in the attitudes of our hearts, a change in the way that we look at the world, a change in the way that we look at ourselves. So we're going to look at the process, six steps, and you're thinking six steps, they're going to be here for three hours. No, we're not, I promise. Six-step process for how to do good. That's what we're going to look at. Mark 14, 3 through 9. Uh, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came and with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? Wasted, as if using it on the Son of God, a most, most precious being of all time. Of course, they don't think that, right? Uh, for his, this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has done what she could. It's an important idea in doing good. She has done what she could. Not more than she could. Not what could. She has done what could be expected of her. What God expects her to do is not more than she's capable of. She's done what she could. She has anointed my body before and for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. I really love that line because here we are telling it in memory of her, right? But this line that's underlined, whenever you want, you can do good for them. Step one, whenever you want. What's step one to doing good? You got to want to do it. Pretty basic, really. should be maybe too obvious. But to do good, you have to want to do good. And this is maybe, I think, for a lot of uh, our lives and our situations, where we fail at doing good is this first basic step. I don't want to. I just don't want to. Right? And it could be for any number of reasons why we don't want to. Do we actually want, in this phrase, devote ourselves, which we've used a lot in this series, coming from Timothy and Titus, do you actually want to devote your life to doing good? Is that something that would, and we think about want, what does that mean? Would doing good bring you joy or happiness or pleasure? It's something that, is it something, doing good is something you delight in? That phrase is used several times in Psalms, the idea of delighting in. That it brings us joy. Do you want, desire to do good? And if not, of course, why not? If not, why not? Now, there's two ways to think about this. There's the sort of abstract desires that we have, the sort of uh, the, the things that we set our, the goals that we set for ourselves in life, the way that our mind works. And I think to myself, yeah, I want to do good. Sure, I want to do good. But then when it comes to actually doing the good, eh, not so much, 
right? And we might think to ourselves, it's natural to not want to do good in the moment, right? To not want to go out of our way, to not want to be inconvenienced, to not want to have to sacrifice. Sure, that's natural, but yeah, that's exactly right. It's natural, not spiritual. The struggle between the spirit and the flesh, the spiritual part of me, the part of me that should be in control, the part of me that it will endure beyond my body, that part of me should want to do more and more good as I mature as a Christian. Even if the flesh... There's part of me that doesn't want to do good. The deeper part of me, my soul, my very being, should want to do good because of what God has done for me. So, step one, you got to want it. Step two, 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 through 22. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Here's a list of good things you could be doing. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Here's some more good works that you could do, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not uh, despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now, he's talking a lot about the practicality, right? These lists that he's listing about good things and bad things. But again, in the middle of this, always seek to do good. You got to want it. You got to seek it. What does it mean to seek it? Doing good is not an accident. Now, I will say, sometimes we do good on accident. I probably, there have been times in your life that you've done things that are blessings to others and you really didn't intend to and it just sort of happened that way. But for the most part, because the flesh is set on self, right, the natural way, the, the sort of default mode of humanity, we talked about this in our class a little bit, the default thing is selfishness. Doing good is mostly not an accident. We have to be intentional about it. The people that do the most good are the people that are seeking opportunities to do good. That is, they're not just sort of sitting back and letting it come to them. They are out actively seeking ways that they can help, things they can do. People who do good on a large scale in, in our lives, in the congregations that we serve in, in, in the kingdom of God, are people that are looking for ways to do good. Instead of just sort of, if it comes along, if the opportunity comes along, that's great, I'll do it then, but... You know, I'm just going to be here doing my own thing, and, and, and if there's good that I could do that comes along and is easy, then sure. This means orienting the way you look at the world around how you can help. Instead of, again, as the flesh would, would indicate, as the, the natural man wants to be, looking at the world about how does this help me, because that's what we naturally want to do, right? I look at you, and I look at my job, and I look at all the other people in my life, and I look at this, the world around me, and politics, and all these other aspects of reality, and I think, how does this benefit me? The person who seeks to do good looks at the world with the idea of how can I be of a good to the world? How can I bless the world? How can I be a help in whatever circumstance I find myself in? When you interact with others, when you're talking about others, how do you talk about other people? In your conversations about others, is it obvious that you're seeking how you can benefit them? How aware are you of your surroundings, right? This could be at work, this could be in our families, this could be in our friend groups, right? We're just sort of absorbed in our own bubbles and thinking about ourselves, or are we aware of what's going on, opportunities that we could have? Again, this is a, a, a part of a larger attitude about life in general, which brings us to number three, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. So number one, you got to want it. Number two, got to seek it. Number three, 
As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves treasures as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This word, ready. So I want to do good. I'm going to seek opportunities to do good. But am I ready to do good? Now, in context, he's specifically talking about rich people, right? He's talking about those who are rich in this present age, specifically uh, those who are materially wealthy. But I think there is a greater context here. If you're thinking about the wealthy, what would they need to do to be ready to share? Well, they have to let go of greed, number one. They have to already have done that before the opportunity arises. They need to be working on their own attitudes and hearts of letting go of the greed, letting go of the selfishness. They also have to have the, the an, you know, think about the mechanics of this in their time. I don't know how they, I don't exactly know the mechanics of baking in the first century, like how that worked. Of course, they had a lot more probably, they didn't have debit cards, obviously, uh, but physical currency did they just have it stored in a vault where they couldn't get access to it? Or were they ready to share it? There's an element of practicality here that we can apply, not just to the rich, but to all of us being ready to do good. That I'm not just sort of, again, thinking about intentionality, that is a mindset that I have already decided to do the good thing when I see it. I'm not going to make that decision in the moment. I'm not choosing to do good when the opportunity arises because I've already determined in my mind when I see an opportunity, I am going to take it. That's being ready to do good. A lot of times we think, yeah, I want to do good. And then the opportunity arises. Uh, well, I'm not quite ready to do that right now. I'll do that later. You weren't ready. Maybe it's attitude. Maybe it's matters of practicality, right? Could be matters of practicality. How accessible are your resources to share with others? How often do you plan your, your life around ways that you could be of benefit? Are you ready? If an opportunity arose, we leave the church building, every, worship is over, we leave the church building, and there's an opportunity for you to help, are you ready to do that? Ah, I gotta go eat. I'll do it after lunch. And then before you know it, I'll do it after dinner. I'll do it on Monday. I'll do it next Tuesday. That's what happens, right? Because I'm not ready to do good. So, number one, got to want it. Number two, got to seek it. Number three, you got to be ready for it. Number four, Titus 3, 12 through 15. When I send Art uh, Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Neopolis. This, uh, Nicopolis is a, just some random stuff for Titus here. I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing and let our people. Our people is who? That would be the church. Right now it could be the, the people specifically that Titus is ministering to. Uh, but it's also the people that are around Paul, these people that he's listed here. But it's anybody that Titus is in, in is responsible for teaching, right? Titus is a, a minister, an evangelist. Who's Titus responsible for teaching? The church there. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to, cease, uh, to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let our people learn. This is going to help us in the first three. I seek it. 
I want it. I got those out of order. I'm ready for it. Part of how I'm going to be ready is I got to learn how to do good, right? I don't know how to stress this any more than I already have. God doesn't expect you to just know this sort of by osmosis. When you became a Christian, you had to learn some things before you could become a Christian. You had to learn the basic gospel story, right? The story of Jesus. You had to learn uh, what it means to repent. You had to learn what God expects of you in, in your walk with God. You had to learn what it meant to be immersed into Christ. You had to learn all that stuff. You didn't just know it. God didn't expect you to just know it. That's why he sent teachers and people like us to teach the lost, right? And when you were immersed into Christ, your eyes out of the water, it's not like God sort of beams down all this sudden knowledge into you about how to do good, right? The learning process continues in our congregations. That's why the Christian walk is meant to be done together, collectively. We probably need to be doing a better job of organizing the teaching of doing good. There's the teaching of doctrine, which is great, but there's also teaching of practicality. If we are learning the craft of doing good, you know people who are better at it than others, right? People that are better at visiting, people that are better at sharing, people that are better at encouraging. These are all skills. So we need to look around and think, who is there that you can learn from? You're a Christian and you're thinking, I really want to start doing more good works in, uh, in my community or in the congregation. If you don't know how to do that, you, who are you going to learn from? Is there somebody that you look around and you think, oh, that person's really helped me in this way. How could I learn from them to do what they're doing? What good works are there for you to learn how to do? We've talked about a bunch of them, but maybe there's more that you are interested in learning about. What's stopping you from learning? Now, it could be time. I don't have time. Could be you don't know how to go about it. If ignorance is what's stopping you, let me offer a formal invitation to come to me and I will help you. Maybe I can't teach you the good work itself, but I can put you in touch with somebody who can, or the elders, or any of the deacons, right? There are people here who can help you learn how to do good, what good to do, and how to do it. The student, of course, is part of this, but the other part is who? The teacher, right? Titus 2, 6 through 8. Likewise, urge younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that the opponents may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. So if we're, we're supposed to be learning how to do good, the other, of course, side of that is modeling good, being a model of good works. As you want, seek, and become ready to do good, you're learning how to do good, you're doing more good, something amazing should happen in our maturity. As you learn more about how to do good, a natural transition should take place from being the student to the teacher, right? And this applies in any aspect of the church, especially in our doing good. You're doing good, whatever it is that you're doing, the things that you do that are, are beneficial to others, being a blessing to others in some way, at some point, you stop being the student, the disciple, that's the word that's used in Scripture, and become the one to whom others look for guidance. And again, if we're thinking about the intentionality of our good works, who are you modeling good for? Now, it's going to be the people around you, right? People you spend time with, obviously. Maybe it's your children, your grandchildren. 
But I suspect that there are people outside your immediate circle who could benefit from your modeling. Who could benefit from the example that you set in doing good. Who is there that you help, uh, who can you help learn to do good? Who can you teach? Not teaching doctrine, again, we're not necessarily teaching doctrine here, but teaching how to be a good visitor, how to encourage others, teaching how to encourage and, and how to, here's one that we really need to be better at, teaching how to notice when people need help. Because that's a skill too, right? Noticing when others need help. Who can see your example? And if we have in our minds that we're constantly being an example to others, then we could ask the other question, what are you teaching? You're always teaching somebody something by what you do. Maybe we're not teaching them how to do good. Maybe we're teaching them how to be lazy. Maybe we're teaching others how to be apathetic. Maybe we're teaching others how to put ourselves first. Because I'm modeling those things for others. So, we need to want it. We need to seek it. We need to be ready for it. We need to learn how to do it. We need to model it for others. Finally, remember this is a group project. If you're like me, that brings back horror stories of school. But as we think about the group effort of this idea, that I am pursuing good works not as an individual, but as part of a greater whole, right? I'm seeking good works as part of a, uh, a large body of Christ. That's the whole point. We've read this verse so many times. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for you who promise is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together. I'm glad that you didn't neglect this morning. What is the point here? As we're stirring up one another, this last step in how to do good. How do we stir one another up? Well, we've read a bunch of these already. By our example, what are we showing to others? By our verbal encouragement. It's, it's encouraging to be in each other's presence, but you know, sometimes you need to say some encouraging things. Like, hey, you know, I'm, I really noticed that you did this thing, and I was really, that was really encouraging to me. I'm glad you did that. Or, hey, I noticed that you are feeling a little down recently. Is there something I can do to help? You know, that ways that we are verbally encouraging one another, but then that should lead to what? Tangible support. If you say to somebody, let me know if there's anything I can do to help, and then they say, oh, you could help this way, then what should you not then turn around and do? Oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Not that particular thing. That's what we do, right? We do that so many times. We say, let me know if there's anything I can do to help, but we don't really intend to do that. Follow through with tangible support. Teach one another. And I, I said this a couple weeks ago. As you're doing good throughout the week, Others have more time than others. We understand that. But the next time you're thinking about a good work that you're going to do, think about who you could bring along with you. Who, maybe it's a younger Christian in age. Maybe it's just a younger Christian in their spiritual maturity. They haven't been a Christian as long. Who is there that you're about to do this good work, whatever it happens to be, who is there that you could invite to model for them what you're about to do? And from the other of that, you want to do good, you see others the, do, the good that others are doing, and you think to yourself, man, I really want to be like this person, whoever it is. I really want to do this thing like this person does. You ever just ask them, hey, could, could you teach me how to do that? And then do it together. 
All the more as you see the day drawing near is the end of this text, which I didn't actually read. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What does that mean? All the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day. The day of his return. Isn't that the day? Why does the Hebrew writer tie these ideas together? The reading that we read at the beginning of uh, the scripture reading. This is the last verse. I'm going to start back in 36, Matthew 24, 36 and through to 37, then skip down to 42. Concerning that day and hour, the day of his return, the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath. It's called a lot of things in the Bible. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not in the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only knows when. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. For as it were in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, you would have stayed in wake, would not have let his house been broken into. That's obvious. If I know when Jesus is coming, then I can be ready for it. I'm going to just live my own life. Jesus is coming on Tuesday, July 22nd, 2023. I don't know. I'm just making that up, right? But if I knew that, then I could just live my own life until the previous Thursday. Then I can become a Christian and then I'll be good to go for the next four days. Of course, we know that that's not the attitude that we should be having, right? Because we cannot know it. Therefore, you must be ready. How are you going to be ready? For his return? Well, let's keep reading. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant who the master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Who will be ready is what he's saying. Who will be ready? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing when he comes. Why does this matter so much? When Jesus returns, wouldn't it be awful if we were in the middle of sin? Wouldn't it be awful if we were in the middle of apathy? But on the other hand, if Jesus comes and we are in the middle of doing good, what will he find you doing when he returns? Hopefully it will be doing good. So that you can stand before him and he will say, well done, good and faithful servants. That's what I want to hear. Is that what you want to hear? 